Hey, this is Ted Nugent. Hi, this is Jay Leno. Hi, everybody. This is David Hobbs. Hi, this is Bob Parshall. Hi, I'm Barry McGuire. Hey, this is Danny the Count Coker. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver, Adam Carolla. Hi, this is Shirley Cha-Cha Muldowney. Hi, this is Robert Yates. Hey, this is Lou Santiago. I'm John Forrest. Hey, this is Jack Roush. Hello, Florida. I'm Ken Squire. Hi, this is Etzel Ford. Hi, I'm Corky Coker. Hey, this is Dennis Gage. Hi, this is Sam Amolo. Hi, this is Janet Hi, I'm Bruce Cohn. Hi, I'm Bob Lutz. Hi, this is Dave McClellan. Hey, this is Tammy Edelbrock. Hi, this is Norm Kravowski. Hey, I'm Dave Despain. Hey, this is Wayne Carini. This is Bill Warner. Hey, I'm Steve Bignanti. This is Kevin Bird. This is Arlen Ness. This is Ed Justice Jr. Hi, I'm Casey Jones. Hi, I'm Paul Kelly. I'm Richard Hutchins. Hi, this is Danny Sullivan. Hi, I'm Bob Bondron. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Strange. This is Daryl Starbird. Hi, this is Fort Hickok. Hi, this is Ed Skandarian here. This is Robin Miller. Hey, Sports fans, this is Peter Brock here. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is a hot rod. And so are these, all of them, waiting their turn to participate in official time trials at El Mirage Dry Lakes in California. Every kind of car and every type of motor appears here, representing many man-hours and hard-earned dollars. A great share of the latest improvements in modern high-compression automobiles right here on this hot rod strip. These men are officials of the Southern California Timing Association. They are pioneers in the field of hot rod racing. They have helped to overcome a public distaste for the words hot rod and have served as an example to their younger members who are made to realize that their car should be built for safety as well as speed. Each car has been inspected before it embarks on its time trial. The desire for perfection has created a sport that is educational as well as exciting to both participants and spectators. This is legal hot rod racing. There is no speed limit here. The idea is to go as fast as you can against a common opponent, the clock. This was once a hot rod also. The same amount of work and thought and mechanical ingenuity went into the making of this hot rod as goes into those that race against the clock. Mechanically, they're the same, but there the resemblance ends. This hot rod was a murderer. It killed two people. It might have started with something like this. Very possibly it did. 
This is illegal hot rod racing. It kills a lot of young mechanical geniuses every year. They can't catch him all. Jack will get away. He's just lucky. Drives pretty good, too. My pal. Furthermore, as the parents of these two defendants, the court holds you morally responsible for their actions. You are very fortunate not to be facing manslaughter charges. But they will someday if you allow them to race around this town in those overpowered automobiles. Perhaps you don't realize that 25% of the cases tried in this court involve hot rods. Maybe you didn't know that in the past six months, over 50 people lost their lives as a direct result of hot rod accidents. And who's to blame? You are. Inasmuch as these defendants are first offenders, the court will not impose a jail sentence. And the court will do its utmost to see that they do not become second offenders. Their automobile operator's licenses are hereby revoked for the period of one year. Now, the court realizes that at times it's more difficult than it seems to supervise the activities of teenagers. Being a parent myself, I, I'm familiar with your problem. But it must be done. And it will be done as long as I sit on this bench. If the orders of this court are not carried out, the full prison terms allowed by law will be imposed. You may go now, but you parents may well be grateful that the day you attended the trial instead of a funeral. Court adjourned. This is Tom Mongeus McEwen. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Your show's great. Ho, ho, ho! <laughs> Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios. Hey, if you missed any of our past shows, run to our website, Google our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you can see all of our past shows. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Don't forget to let's see. We have Facebook. We have Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and we have Allstream Motorsports. Now, little update here on my website. A couple of weeks ago, we had our five-year anniversary show. That's 250 shows. That's a lot of shows. And uh, so we're doing pretty good. We're rolling right along. Five years, and we're going to try for another five years. We'll see what happens. Of course, if you asked me five years ago if I'd still be doing this, uh, hey, man, I'm not sure. But anyway, I like it. I love it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, we're going to build us into something. But anyway, back to my website. Up until now, we've had uh, my son pretty much built the website, something he did about three years ago. It's doing pretty good, but it's time for a change. So what we're going to do is we're in the process of working on revamping the website. We're going to add a few things to it. We're going to make it a little bit more, how should I say, versatile. We're going to be adding videos to our, um, our website. As a matter of fact, to give you an example, like today, 
Today I had to go out and uh, look at a car because I have a customer in Germany that is looking to buy Porsches since Porsches are the rage. And of course, uh, if you recall back in March, we did the very first all Porsche auction here in the United States. And we did that with Hollywood Wheels slash Auto Retro. And uh, we're still working on that. And my good buddy Mike Flynn is working on building that auction into a really prestigious event. In fact, the big announcement now is, is that Hollywood Wheels Auto Retro is now the official auction house for Porsche Club of America. That's pretty cool. That's huge. So we got a big uh, shindig planned at the Porsche Parade, which is the third week in June at French Lick. That's the name of the town, French Lick, Indiana. Okay. and uh, Home of Larry Bird. Home of Larry Bird. Let me guess. He played baseball. No, basketball. He played basketball, he played yes. basketball. Yes. Which uh, I figured you'd pipe in and say, how you doing tonight, Pete? I'm doing great. How you doing? So are the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, they're going to win, right? They're going to win tonight, yeah. They're going to close out the New York Rangers in game six, and they're going to go on and win the Stanley Cup. Super. Now, wait a minute. Who did Wayne Gretzky play for? Uh, Gretzky played for the Rangers at a certain time, but he also played for the LA Kings. He's more known for playing for the LA Kings. But he's Canadian, correct? Uh, yes, he is. Remember back in the day with the um, the, he also the played, he also played for Edmonton. Edmonton, okay, yes, that's, with yeah. Mark Messier, who's also a former Ranger. Okay, all right. Now, when we played in the Olympics way back, I don't know if it was late '80s, late '90s. Mm-hmm. Didn't he play with Rutgers no. at the United States? He, he did? was not on that team. Actually, there was no NHL players that really played on that team. It was like college. It was collegiate. Yeah, collegiate. Okay. Most, most likely, yeah. Unlike the guys that we played against, correct, had, had professional players. It's on not them. like it was today. It was mostly the, the Russians had the professionals, professional right. hockey players, right? And at the time, uh, America just had some unproven kids that played okay. in college. But we won that, didn't we? We did. The Miracle Olympic. on Ice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 1980 in Lake Placid. Yeah, see, so I, 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 I did pay attention. <laughs> you did. And actually, the last time the Rangers won a Stanley Cup was 1994 with none other than Mark Messier, who played also with Wayne Gretzky and Edmonton. And before they traded him. Boy, you're just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sports. That's good. Why don't you go ahead and plug your show real quick? It's on Saturdays, right? Yeah, Saturdays from uh, 4 to 5. It's called The Sports Web, and it's uh, the newest uh, sports talk show on the Tan Talk Radio Network. It's a fan show. It's an opportunity for fans to call up, vent, and talk about sports. Bring your excitement. Bring your passion. Just don't bring any nonsense. Okay, you can cover all sports, pretty much all Pretty much. Okay. Except yeah. for racing, right? You're not really into the auto uh, racing thing. NASCAR. I'm trying to get into it more and more, and that's okay. why I do this show. So maybe you can get me more into it. I'll, NASCAR I'll work, I'll, and Indy and Indy. everything else. Okay, super. Sports car racing. All right, good. Uh, by the way, you know what? A big shout-out to Lola, because yesterday, Lola, the owner of our radio station, was her birthday. Happy birthday, Lola. Happy birthday, Lola.
She's over at Naughty Nancy's right now enjoying her uh, great meal and a delicious birthday cake. So nice. with a little luck, she'll bring us a couple slices. Now that sounds good. That sounds real good, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. All right. Anyway, where was I? I was back there. I was talking. Porsche Club of America is going to have their national convention in French Lake, Indiana, home of Larry Bird. And uh, and uh, so we're going to be working on that. And then in Monterey's and. August. That's the third week in August. Okay, that is going to be a big deal for us as well because we're going to be out there at the Works reunion, which is pretty much just an all Porsche event in Monterey at uh, Rancho Granada or Granada. I think that's how they pronounce it. And then at the end, the third week in September is the uh, what they call the. My mind just went blank. It's the Rensport Reunion. Okay, now this is an event that takes place in the United States like every couple of years. And it kind of moves around a little bit. And this is just an all-Porsche event. And we may, we may, we may be doing a special event there as well. Now, our next major auction that is on the schedule for sure is Amelia Island next year, 2016. But we're also going to do an event in Scottsdale. So the big events that we're going to be involved with, this is Hollywood Wheels and and me, okay, yours truly, will be the Porsche Club of America Parade, which will be in French Lake, Indiana, then the Monterey event, Rensport event, Scottsdale, and then our big auction. Now, there may be an auction in between here and there. I'm not sure. We're working on that, too, but I'll keep you guys informed. So be sure and check out uh, my website, Gulfstream Motorsports, or go to hollywoodwheels.com. Now, having said that, let's see what else we got going on. Oh, yeah, talking about Porsches. So today, for example, is a good day. I was, uh, you know, the, the neat thing about these new little phones, these neat little devices we got, they actually have video capability. Now, I'm not the greatest when it comes to this stuff. I'm still learning all this high-tech stuff, like uh, you know, the younger kids today. But anyway, so what I decided to do is I decided to take a number of still pictures of this Porsche that I was looking at for one of my customers in Germany. And it is a 1984 911 Turbo, or 930, as we refer to it here in the United States, because the the internal memo number on a, on a Porsche Turbo, 911 Turbo, is 930. Starts with 930 as opposed to 911, which is a 911. Anyway, so this is kind of an older car. It's a one-owner car. This is a Euro car, because 930s were originally built in Europe in 1975. The first introduction was in 1976. 1977, those are three little cars, 76, 77. 78, 79 were what they call 3.3-liter engines, and they were intercooled. Then in 1990, due to emissions, or excuse me, 1980, due to emissions, they w- couldn't bring the cars in the country. So from 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, they still produced them in Europe, but they were basically brought into the country kind of like, uh, eh, under the radar, so to speak, and then they had to be certified so that they would meet DOT and EPA specs, and then they were supposedly, allegedly certified, and then we had 930s here in the United States. But they were called gray market cars. That was the label, gray, because a gray area, gray market cars. And then they reintroduced the 930 due to its popularity again in 1986. So 86, 87, 88, they were 930s. They were four-speeds. They were 3.3-liter cars. They were intercooled. The U.S. cars had around 285, 280 horsepower. The Euro cars had 300. And in spite of the fact that U.S. cars were being imported into the United States, 86, 87, 88, and 89, great market cars were still finding their way into their country, mainly because they had a little extra 20 to 25 horsepower. At any rate, and then in 89, which was the last year for the official 930, they came out with the five-speed. So that's actually the most more desirable. Prices on these cars, eh, it varies. They're all over the board. Fifty to one hundred thousand dollars, hundred to one hundred fifty, depending on mileage, depending on condition. They're all over the board. You know, what flavor do you like? Do you want burgundy? Do you want gold? Do you want silver? Do you want red? Do you want black? I mean, Porsches came in an assortment of colors. Back to this nine thirty that I was talking about earlier. 
So what I had to do is I had to do basically an inspection on this car for my customer in Germany. And this car was a one-owner car. It's got all the documentation. But unfortunately, the car had been sitting for a long time and sitting on a coastal area. And the fact that it was sitting near coastal areas is probably the worst thing that could happen to any automobile because salt air, oxidation, all that kind of good stuff, dampness definitely takes its toll. But the nice thing about it is it was kind of like in a carport area, so it really wasn't exposed to the open elements. It was just kind of sitting, kind of nestled in a corner, so to speak. So the exterior of the car pretty much got sun blistered and a little bit, let's just say, a substantial amount of surface rust. It still has the correct factory 16 by 7s on the front, 16 by 8s on the rear. The tires, they're all, all there. The car's straight. Had a few little dents on the driver's fender, had a few little dents maybe in the rocker panel on the driver's side. The interior, unfortunately, had had literally just blown apart. I mean, when the sun gets a hold of this stuff, it just literally just takes, and of course the dampness, maybe the window was cracked, the seats were worn out, the dash was literally blown apart. I mean, it's like it, it just puffed up and just went poof and just disintegrated. And uh, so it was a pretty bad shape. Because the car had been sitting for a while, they went through the fuel system, checked the brakes, made sure the mechanicals were fine. I took the car for a test drive. Even though it was farting and sputtering and kind of gagging a little bit, once I got it around the block, once I got it kind of at the speed, and I'm talking about up to like 100 miles an hour, it started to kind of smooth out a little bit and clear out. Now, really what needs to be done is it needs to have a basically a fuel injection, fuel system flush or something like that. Something needs to go through there or, you know, because it's probably got debris in there and it's kind of... Like I said, it's kind of clogging things up a bit, and that, and that's a lengthy detailed. But anyway, so there's a there's a fuel injection. There's a process to 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 clean and clear out the fuel injection system without having to totally dismantle it. If it doesn't clear up, then you do have to start taking fuel distributors apart and injectors and things of that nature. But for the most part, you know, sometimes you can put some fuel injection cleaners in there, fluids, whatever, or really nothing beats a good a dose of uh, 110 octane fuel. That's like the rotor rooter. That's like an automotive fuel injection enema, so to speak. But anyway, so driving the car, the car drove good. Tires were square, handled pretty good. No major clunks or anything like that. You know, maybe a bushing or two here and there needs to be changed out because they dry right after a period of time. But anyway, so what I did is once I got done driving the car and testing and everything like that, I decided to do a video on the car. So I walked around the thing in my very inexperienced way, and uh, I did a video on it. I kind of narrated it. I'm going to be... Curious to see how this thing came out. This is the first one I've ever done on my own. You're, normally, my son's with me, and he kind of like he'll videotape me. But we've never put one on because I really didn't want to basically exploit myself and embarrass the crap out of myself. Over to bag of hammers. <laughs> You're standing there. Is there somebody on the phone who wants to talk yet? No, we don't have our guest yet, right? Oh yeah. By the way, we have a real interesting guest on this, uh, coming on this later this evening. A good friend of mine. He's been on our show before. You'll definitely know the name because he's uh, well known in the world of TV and muscle cars. But anyway. So back to the turbo. So we did the video. The video is kind of okay, but here's what we're going to do. With this new website, I'm going to start incorporating more and more videos, as well as, you guys know I'm a parts junkie, so I've got a special page that I'm going to be allocating to all the stuff that I throw on Craps List, Craigslist, whatever you want to call it, and occasionally I do some eHay stuff, not as much as I used to because I like to keep everything local, to help the local economy, local business. And um, so I'll have a bunch of stuff on there. Plus, I'm going to start a little blog 
I'm going to do uh, kind of like what I do on Facebook, which, I'm again, you know, I'm, I, I want to keep it centered on my, my website, Gulfstream Motorsports. And, of course, on Gulfstream Motorsports, we have a number of pages there. We have, obviously, my bio about us. We have the radio show information. We have uh, snapshots. Snapshots is basically a lot of pictures that I've taken at a number of events over the years. We've got a resource page, which basically has uh, some of the people that have been on the show, some of the sponsors, some of the people that we like to do business with on a regular basis. And then we have an events page, which is extremely important because that pretty much tells everybody what's going on all the time. Now, they're not all the necessarily the local stuff going on, but they're generally the major ones or the ones that I generally try to participate in. The ones that I definitely try to get to, rain, snow, sleet, or shine, are obviously Amelia Island in March, uh, Monterey in August, SEMA in November and Scottsdale. Those are the four major events. So if you want to put something on your bucket list, if you've never been to any of those, those are the events that you want to get to. Now, we're at 725. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. I think we should just go ahead and play a song. Yeah. Now, here's something that's kind of groovy. This is out of 1970-71. This song is by uh, Krabby Appleton. It's called Grab On. And just like I'm trying to grab on a few things around here, like my future. <laughs> uh, this is a cool song. Takes me back to 1971 when I first moved to Florida. Anyway, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Waiting Cars. We'll be right back. We got a special guest. Don't go away. Don't touch that dial. Oh, my God. 
72 Ford. It's got a 427 in it. And then those are Carter carburetors. 11 inches of rotor in the rear. Chevy work against a two-bit piece of junk. Let's make it 50. Make it three yards, mother and we'll have an automobile race. Hey, this guy just got three hundred bucks. Where to? Airport Road, you can follow me. Legendary engine builder, you're listening to Cars and Stars. I gotta write it down. This is Ed Pink, legendary engine builder. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. And yes, that was Ed Pink, legendary engine builder. Now, you know, nothing beats a great power shift. You know, when you when you were listening to that clip, that was a clip from uh, Tulane Blacktop and uh, with uh, Dennis from uh, the Beach Boys and James Taylor, James Taylor the singer. Gee, boy, I'll tell you what my memory blank, blank there for a second. Anyway, but it was a it was a drag race scene. And uh, so basically three yards is three hundred bucks with a three hundred dollar bet. Cool thing about that is is that when we were actually racing down the street, you know, you could hear him just kinda hammer through the gears there a little bit. So nothing beats a good power shift on a stick shift car. But anyway, hey, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show a friend of mine. A well-known guest. You see this gentleman on uh, TV all the time. He's on Barrett Jackson. He's a color commentator. But he's not only just a color commentator. He's a diehard car guy, serious Mopar guy. And he's an author now, as well as a number of other cool car stuff, addicts. 
Uh, I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Steve Mignate. Steve, are you there? Yeah, I am, Robert. Great to be here. So, what have you been up to lately? Tell me about some of the cool Steve's, the cool stuff that Steve Mignante's been up to. Well, you know, I'm, I'm in Massachusetts now. I moved here eight years ago, grew up here, mm-hmm. uh, but I spent 15 years in Los Angeles, and I got spoiled out there with the weather being what it was. So this past winter up in New England was horrible. Lots of snow, but right now it's perfect outside. So I've got my altered wheelbase Rampage Dart in the driveway, driving it every day. I'm going to make it a mission all summer to drive it every day if I can. Because in the snow, that thing gets parked. <laughs> well, now tell us about this. You say it's an altered dart. Okay, so uh, when yeah. you say define that so people understand that. Sure. Yeah, right on. Well, altered wheelbase, you know, it goes back to uh, the, the earliest days of AFX, the NHRA category, first came out in 62. Mm-hmm. Well, by 1964, Chrysler started playing with the wheelbase and moving the wheels under the body of the car subtly. And in 1965, they went all out. They moved the rear axle and the front axle 10 and 15 inches and just created these things called funny cars. And you might remember Dick Landy, Sox and Martin, all those guys, one of those old funny cars. Well, I've, I've built three of these things. They're, they're modern tributes. They're not actually old actual race cars, but they're modern tributes to them. One of them is a thing called the Rampage. It's a 63 dart. Uh, the front axles move forward about five inches, got an A100 beam axle under the nose. The rear axles move forward a foot. And uh, Chrysler eight and three quarter, but a 512 max wedge, push button torque flight, and it looks like a car that ran out of Chicago called Rampage. But this is not that car. That car is long gone. This is kind of a tribute to it, with their blessing. But uh, it's a streetable altered wheelbase funny car. Now, for our listeners, the 62 Dart really is an intermediate size car. It's not a Dart as the in terms of an A body. It would be more of a B body car, right? That's a good point. Sure, yeah, the, the dark name has been applied to many things, and most recently a four-door Alfa Romeo, which is a very strange twist, but a good car. Uh, but yes, 1963 saw the first use of the dark name on the A-body compact. Uh, it got reskinned, a new body, but previous to 63, it was called the Dodge Lancer, which grew out of the Plymouth Valiant, which came out in 1960. So um, it's kind of the very first example of the dark on a the platform that most people remember it from, that cheap 60s Dodge car that um, you couldn't kill with a slant six, but they're great drag cars, too. Now, those cars, like that Dart and, of course, the Savoy and a few of the other cars back then, Polaris, you know, they're all kind of like in that same size category, you know, Dodge and Plymouth. Were they relatively light cars back in the day? They were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great point, Robert. You know, we've got to remember that... uh, most of the General Motors products of that time, except for the Chevelle, which of course came along in '64, and, and all the A-body intermediates, well, they were they were body-on-frame cars. You know, they were pretty heavy. Whereas Chrysler, for many many years, they were unit construction cars, so they actually could be a little bigger than a Chevelle, or sometimes the same size, but. The frame was integrated into the floor pan, so while they're prone to rust and accident damage, they are also generally much lighter than they look. So, indeed, they're unit construction cars, very light. Now, to, to convert one of those to an altered, and by moving the rear end up, you had to do a lot of, uh, since it's a unibody car, you had to do a lot of work underneath there to make that work, didn't you? Well, well, yes and no. The funny thing is, um, if it, it's easier to do than it is on, say, a Chevelle or a GTO. You've got to remember that the GTO or Chevelle or Olds 442 or Buick GS, any of those you know, mid-60s GM cars, you have to change the frame oh, yeah, that's and right. the body. 
you know, and the floor pan, all that stuff. Whereas when you do this to one of the Chrysler products or a lot of the Fords, the Fairlane, the Mustang, the Falcon, they're also unit construction vehicles. Um, it's really quite a simple process, crazy but true. You got to support the body, uh, and basically it's like sliding a sheet of plywood forward under the roof. That plywood metaphor being the rear suspension uh, member with the leaf springs. You just cut that whole frame part out away from the body, make a gap ahead of it, a foot long, and then push it forward and start welding it back under the car. It's not that bad. No, now that you think about it, or now that you mention it, yeah, I guess you're right on that. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking in terms of like when I used to build models back when I was a kid. You know, you get your little exacto knife out, you cut it, and you slide it forwards and stuff. Now, you mentioned that you're running a push-button automatic. Are you a four-speed guy, or are you like automatics? Oh, I'll tell you what, man. I, a couple seconds ago, I heard the, uh, the the Doors Moonlight Drive, yep. and it brought some memories back to me. And the sound of, of Dennis Wilson, I, I, I drop blanks all the time, but Dennis Wilson is, yes. of course, uh, James Taylor. James Taylor, that's laptop. right. But yeah, the sound of that, that power shift, I heard that on the phone. And that's just a magical thing, man. It's just such perfectly executed power shift is a great thing. Um, I love a stick shift any day of the week. The only downside to that is, well, breakage, you know. Um, I'm, I'm kind of... I love all cars, but when it comes to Chrysler's, uh, the torque flight, the automatic, the 727, with a full manual valve body and a high-stall converter is a wonderful piece of machinery. Uh, You push the buttons, and you get an instantaneous gear change. There's no slap. There's no slop. It's just bang, bang, bang. You actually get a chirp in a second, and then drive it wide open. So it kind of does the same thing a stick will do, just a real effective upshift, but without the, the risk of missing the gear. And you know, and, and you know the expense and the grief of a clutch that could slip and all that kind of stuff. But if, if I had my druthers, yes, give me a stick shift any day of the week. I love those things. Super. Now you said you mentioned that you had three cars that you were working on. Okay, so this is the '63 Dart. So what's the or the '62 Dart? What are the other two you have? Well, the other one that I just actually I got rid of it. I sold it in January, but it was a '63 Chevy Nova called the Wilshire Shaker. And it was orange and white. People who read Hot Rod Magazine from, oh, 2001 to about 2005 probably knew that car very well. It was a project car at Hot Rod. Mm-hmm. It was a Chevy Nova, 63, with a 502 big block Chevy with Hillborn injection. And, yes, a Chrysler torque flight behind that Chevy motor, thanks to a wheel cap adapter. And it basically was a tribute to the old Seton's Shaker line of Chevrolet funny cars. Now, Seton never ran a Nova, an early Nova like this one, but it kind of paid tribute to the seat and shaker line of cars. Fun car, nice, nice piece. Again, completely streetable. We run 1120s. If you, if you uh, Google or, or go to YouTube and, and enter Wilshire Shaker, you'll see videos of that car in action at uh, Lebanon Valley and at, at, uh, also at Irwindale, California. Uh, but in the third car is an 81 Ford Fairmont. I know, Fairmont. But it has a camera motor, a five-speed, altered wheelbase, magnesium rims, and it's kind of a take on the altered wheelbase thing but with newer equipment uh, to see if, if the uh, the vehicle can be made cool <laughs> by the, the altered wheelbase funification because a Fairmont is not a very cool car if you think about it. But this one's a two-door post. And it's remember that, you know, of course, uh, the uh, the Glidens, uh, Bob Glidden, was, was a murderer, a killer in the, the Fairmont back in Pro Stock in 78, 79, unbeatable. So the Fairmont does have its history. Oh, yeah. Don't forget the Futura. It was actually a good-looking car with a nice roof line. Sure, absolutely. Okay, so this is a box post car is what you're talking about, as opposed to the with the standard conventional roof line as opposed to Futura, which had basically the slant-back roof line, kind of a sportier look. That's correct. Yeah, quite quite a different car, really. A lot of differences. The doors, the roof line, the taillights, the trunk, all that stuff. It's funny. It's amazing, really. A lot of folks today who grew up around cars, they don't 
maybe have their memory of the days when Detroit made two-door sedans, two-door hardtops, four-door sedans, four-door hardtops, and all these different things. And the cheapest one of them was always the two-door post. And it's something we never see anymore because two-door cars in general today, uh, they're not saleable. You know, and, and it's mostly because people want the space in the back for the family and that whole thing. But it used to be there's a whole crop of inexpensive, low-line, two-door sedans uh, from the Ford Falcon, the Torino Falcon of 70, and these really cheap cars. But they're great strippers, and they're great cars to turn into uh, to race cars and funny cars and stuff. But, yes, this is a two-door post. Pretty rare body for a Fairmont. You know, essentially, too, you talk about the post cars, you know, even back in the 50s, you know, with the Tri-5 Chevys and the big old Pontiacs and, you know, the, the Ford Customs that they had. Were they? Is it? Is it? A, is it a myth, or were they actually lighter than a hardtop? You know, that's a that's a good point. You know, you got to remember that the, the sedan or the post, the pillar coupe, as it were, does have more metal yeah. in the eye than does a hardtop. There's the full door frame. There's the fixed B pillar. But you got to remember too that when you take those things out of the car, well, the shell has to become flimsy and, and, and kind of wobbly, so you have hidden panels that restore that strength. So it is true that more often than not, the hardtop without the pillar will be a slightly heavier car than will be the post, uh, because at least with the post, all the, the structural members are, are visible, whereas on the hardtops, those things are tucked inside of the doors, and you get extra extra thick panels. And uh, But the other thing about the sedan, the post car, is that the body shell generally is a little stiffer. Um, not that that matters too much, but on a really violent drag car that launches hard, there is a degree of body flex that uh, can absorb some of the power and potentially dull the acceleration of the vehicle by a fraction of a second, you know. But anybody who says that the two-door post, you know, is quicker than a sedan, I would have to say it would take NASA to see a difference of if there is one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the punchline is the, the two-door sedans are generally cheaper, no frills, no AC, and they're just more uh, adaptable to drag racing. And quite often, a lot of guys would order the, the cheapest car because they didn't care about anything other than the engine and drivetrain and the lowest possible dollar amount, you know. Let's go back to the Altridge a little bit, you know, the AFX series cars and stuff, because Ford had them, Mopar had them. Uh, I don't remember. There was a few GMs out there, but it was pretty much prevalent between Ford and um, and uh, Chrysler at the time. And, you know, by moving the rear end up and by moving the the front axle up a little bit closer to the front bumper, you, is it is it is it a, an illusion or did it really, when they use the term weight transfer in drag racing, does it does it does it really apply? It absolutely does. Yeah, you got to remember that the whole key of it was that back in those days, just before, right on the edge of the invention of the wrinkle wall drag slick, uh, M&H Racemaster, one of the first companies to employ the thin sidewalls and a tire that actually rippled and would cushion. See, when you hit the gas on the drag strip, the, the traction that's created by the tire is a function of how much grip it can get. And on the early drag tires, they had really stiff sidewalls and hard rubber. So what would happen is the rim would send a pulse of power into the sidewall, which would then shudder and shake and then shock the tread and start it spinning. But by going with a soft sidewall, the wrinkle wall, it absorbed that, and the cars would then hook and boomerang off the line, kind of like a rubber band effect almost, you know. So it is true, though, that uh, before the wrinkle wall tire really came on, uh, Chrysler said, hey, how can we make these lousy tires hook up? And they said, why don't we move the axles under the car? And it is it is a fact. I've got a couple of these cars, and when you have a, let's say, a race Hemi in a 65 Dodge Coronet, in a standard wheelbase, there's probably 55% of the weight on the nose of the car, 45 on the rear. When you alter the wheelbase, you have 
60% on the back, 40% on the front. That's static weight distribution. That's a factual thing. I've measured that. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it's the same effect as moving the engine rearward in the car, but without having to intrude, you know, intrude into the driver compartment and, and, and kill the firewall. But it is very real. It certainly will give you a 50-50, if not more like a 46-54, uh, where there's more weight on the rear tires before you even move. So it is very real. You know, it's interesting, too, is when you talk about that. Now, the motors on the altereds were generally set back just a little bit closer to the firewall. Is that true? Well, yeah. The, the thing, the NHRA, they had strict rules because they, you know, Wally Parks and, and the company, they basically were very, well, it's funny. There's no secret that the NHRA early on was not a fan of the, the door slammer funny car because they feared that it would steal the thunder from the top fuel dragster. And it was kind of an eastern and midwestern thing, the door slammer. The, closest, the closer you were to Detroit, the more you cared about whether Gas Ronda's Mustang beat Ronnie Sox's Barracuda. Now, if you're in California, most guys said the body's not for anything other than, you know, it's just it's in the way and drags you. So the NHRA kind of ignored and really didn't give full shrift to the altered wheelbase cars for, well, until 68. There was no class for them until, I think, 68 or 9 for funny cars. But anyway, with that said... Um, yeah, they were, best, they were basically a, a new thing that people just hadn't seen stock body drag cars exploding off the line and running 160 miles an hour. Uh, now, of course, it's a pretty common sight. It's not that hard to do, but, uh, but back then it was, it was like uh, the first jet airplanes. It was really quite an amazing thing. You're talking about the wrinkle walls. Now, prior to the wrinkle walls, we had the old pie, hard sidewall pie crust style slicks, you know, with the little grooves in it. You know, they called it treater slick and stuff like that. But the... Uh, it seems to me when the wrinkle walls came out that when that tire wrinkled, it actually put more, it stretched the tire out and actually put more of a footprint on the ground, more tire surface area on the asphalt to, to allow it to bite. Is that is that true or is that just optics? That's exactly it, Robert, right there. That's the thing. And they combine that with lower inflation, as little as 4 PSI. Yeah. No joke. The Ford, Ford 20 cars, 4 PSI. Now, the only downside to 4 PSI is once you get to the other end of the drag strip and you go 150, you know, 140 miles an hour, and you're essentially running on flat tires for the rear. And a lot of guys, I hate to say it, were, were hurt and, and, and lost in early funny cars trying to, well, defy physics, you know. But early on, yes, those wrinkle wall slicks, they used to say that you wanted to get the skinniest rim possible, like a four or five inch rim, no joke or a six-inch rim, and then this 10- or 12-inch tire, and this it looked goofy. Some of the old pictures of the old funny cars, you'll see this goofy, skinny Kreger wheel with this big slick in the back, but that was considered the science. They figured that it would concentrate more pressure under the weight of the, the brake drum, so to speak, by putting a skinny rim into the wide tire. Now we know better than that, but back in the day, it was, you know, the earliest days of flight. A lot of mistakes were made, and, you know, but, but fascinating stuff, the evolution of, of drag slick technology. But that's correct. Yeah, indeed. It was all about uh, more footprint and just a more pliable tire to get the tire onto the strip better than, than the, the wrinkle wall, than the, 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 sorry, the, the pie crusts could do. Are you still putting, uh, still doing your videos? Because I know you, I got a couple CDs from you a while back, and I think the uh, the Chevy Nova was on one of those that you were working on, and the Fairmont was on one of those. And yeah, that's uh, right. There were two deep. Yeah, sure. I, I've done two of those. They're two ninety-minute DVDs, uh, how to build altered wheelbase cars, and mm -hmm. they kind of walk you through the process. And there's also some, just some uh, anecdotes driving them around on the street. Because you know the thing is, I mean, uh, I love race cars. They're fantastic. I have no problem with that. But if you can't share the car with people, 
sometimes a car that has to be trailered, well, it's, it's kind of too bad because you can't really share it with people because you have to truck it around everywhere, unload it, and then cackle it around. But I try to make my car streetable. So all of these buddy cars are completely streetable that I build. They have mufflers, radiators. You know, you don't want to drive in the rain, obviously, but if you had to, you could. But, um, but yeah, they're, these two DVDs kind of walk you through the process of, of how to build them. Super. Now, would you say there's a resurgence in nostalgic cars, you know, gassers, retro, uh, altered-looking I mean, it seems to me that it's kind of going in that direction a little bit. How, how strong is it, really? Because you have a better pulse on it because you're at a number of events around the country. So give us, uh, give us some, some ideas on how that is uh, playing out. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's 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 a massive thing. It's it's funny, you know. Hot Rod Magazine. I was at Hot Rod between you know, 1997 and 2004, and when I was there, there was a sense of nostalgia, but it was not really fully formed yet. Well, now there's a thing called Hot Rod Deluxe, which is basically Hot Rod Magazine. The editors go down into the Peterson Publishing archives, and they dredge up photographs, outtakes, pictures that never made it to the magazine, and they're now doing this thing called Hot Rod Deluxe, and it sells out every month they release it. You can find it at Walmart and most good magazine stores, but it's called Hot Rod Deluxe, and it's huge. And, and they initially thought they were just going to do it once or twice, but it turns out that month after month, there's such a, an insatiable demand for vintage photographs of early drag cars from gassers to funny cars to fuelers, alters, all of them, even customs. Um, that uh, it's, it's a big, big thing. And of course, the meltdown drags at the Byron uh, drag strip, I think Byron, Illinois, this drag strip out there, the meltdown drag, that happens another home, oh, I guess maybe in a month or two from now. But there's a, a huge renaissance and a resurgence in uh, everything old being new again. It's good stuff. Excellent. Now, are you familiar with Billetproof? Billaproof. Yes, yeah. Okay. Now that's more of a rat rod type thing, and I'm not so sure. I still have a little issues with the term rat rod. I mean, I'm you know old school, so I still like the term old school hot rod. But last week we had uh, John Kozmowski on from uh, um, uh, House of Color, and he's up there in Minnesota, you know, and he's he's pretty much into the old hot rod stuff. But he kind of you know here now he's a genuine old school hot rod out of the '50s, so he's he's come to terms with the term. Rat rod. I have yet. I'm out of the you know late 60s, 70s, so I'm still kind of dealing with that a little bit. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, for me, it doesn't bother me so much. I, when I was at Hot Rod, I was Gray Baskerville. I think he used the term rat rod a couple times in his stories. And in the story, he wrote apologetically and even had a couple of words in there saying, hey, we're not busting on the car. We're just describing it as, as kind of a ratty approach. But, but he, he, you know, uh, to me, it's not, it never was offensive because, um, you know, I mean, if the car is kind of ratty, who cares, you know? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. I like it. But, yeah, it, it does seem that some of the cars, I mean, that, I love them all. You know, I mean, some people would say that anybody building a Ford Fairmont, like me, is nuts, okay? So I'm the guy building a Fairmont, so I can't judge anything. But with that said, it does seem some of the, some of the vehicles I see are slammed so close to the ground, they become kind of like a cartoon of something that never really existed, like, you know, the international tractor cab and, and <laughs> just these weird, like, you know, contraptions, you know? And I get it. Making something out of nothing, I love that. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and getting away from the thought that a car had to be shiny and pretty to be good. I don't. I don't agree with that either. I say your car can shine from the inside out. That's my excuse anyway. <laughs> you know, it's good machine work on the crankshaft. From there, everything outside just radiates. You know what I mean? If you can do it. But yes, yeah, some of the rat rod vehicles are just really 
kind of weird. Open a drive shaft between your legs, you know, some of these crazy things. And, you know, as far as safety is concerned, I figure if the guy wants to risk his life in it, that's between him and him. But uh, some of the contraptions I see that show up under the term of a rat rod are a little questionable. But And, and again, they're more cartoons. They're not really something that existed ever. But, hey, what the heck, you know, everything has to evolve. Well, yeah, but it's and you know the way I look at it is it keeps the sport alive. It's something for everybody. Yeah. But let me ask you this now: Are you? I'm trying to think of Steve's last name, but Steve from uh, Welder Up. You know, he has that TV show. He was out there in uh, Las Vegas, Rat Rods. Did you ever get a chance to look at some of the stuff he did? Because he's doing some pretty wicked stuff with diesels. But he also had that killer '55 uh, Post Chevy out there that he that he uh, had uh, on uh, the last night of SEMA. What are they called? Nitro, something nitro, um, the night? Yes, yes, yes. The, yeah, the, the cruise of, uh, sort of a, a nitro cruise thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then they had, and he had, a, they had a little area fenced off there, and he was doing some burnouts and this and that. Of course, they had a couple other guys doing it as well. But his, his, his stuff's pretty, pretty intense and pretty well built. I mean, like, you know, again, it's, I guess it's a, a relative to your budget. You know, if you've got all the money in the world, um, Put the best products on there, but if you don't, you know the whole idea was to just go to the junkyard, just like original hot rodding, and throw on the car what you know what you can make work. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with it. I you know I pretty much don't. I try not to judge anybody if it's right or wrong. If it's if it's floating their boat and they build it, that's that's all that anybody has to know. Now, if you're going to try and buy a car from someone, and well, if that's not your taste, when well, you're not going to buy it, you know, uh, to each their own. I, I completely understand that, and I've had a few people tell me that with my Rampage Dart. I quote ruined a perfectly good slant six dot. Yeah, same thing with the Nova. I said, man, it must have been a nice car before you got to it. I'm like, well, okay, you know. And I kind of when I see cars that are all pro streeted and tubbed and stuff like that, but never get on a drag strip. I used to throw rocks at them when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Exactly. But I appreciate it all. If it makes the builder happy, that's really all that matters. That's it. That's you it. Know, some people. Yeah, and just, you know, trying to have a big mouth. I, I, I don't speak unless I'm spoken to. If i got nothing good to say, I, kinda, I try to be quiet, you know, because, hey, I have a Fairmont, you know. So. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Now, speaking of Fairmonts, <laughs> that's a Ford. Now, tell us about this book you were working on. Is it out now, the one about the Mustang? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the, the, the last book I wrote was a thing called uh, the 1001 Muscle Car Facts, and you can find it at Barnes & Noble, and it, it sold pretty well. It's, in fact, still in print. And the publisher says to me, hey, Steve, can you do something else? And I thought to myself, you know, trying to come up with another 1,001 muscle car facts without double-dipping, it would be more work to try and not say some of those things again than to change channels. So I said, okay, how about we do something different than muscle cars? How about Mustangs? They said, we love it. So thus is born <laughs> 1,001 Mustang facts, which is due to the publisher December 1st, and it'll be out a year from right now. But it's a third done at this point in time. And, and i got to say, it's, it's, it's a blast. It's, it's on car tech books. It'll be out a year from right now. And again, 1,001 facts on Mustangs. And it's broken into eight parts. The crazy thing is, if you, if you look at the Ford website uh, or any of the you know, structured things, they'll say there's only, I think, six generations of Mustang, or even five. They lump the 64 and a half in with the 73, which is nuts because they're such different cars. You know, they call that the first-gen Mustang. So in my book, I broke it into eight chapters. So we have, you know, the 64 through 66, uh, 67 through 70, 71 through 73, and then, yeah, 74 through 78, the Mustang too. Yup, that gets 125 <laughs> facts, just like the rest of them. And the funny thing is, and I'm doing this book, and, and of course it goes into the Fox Mustangs through 93, and then, of course, SN95, and then the 2015, the wonderful retro Mustang that we, well, sorry, the 2005, excuse me, it's been 10 years. It's amazing already with that beautiful retro Mustang, the J. Mays car. The, one, the, the S197. 
Yes, indeed. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And just what a neat piece that is. The GT500s, my gosh, you know, we never thought we'd see something. And now this brand new creature with independent rear suspension and the world body, which is supposed to look good to everyone. I like it, but anyway, but every one of those families gets 125 facts. But the crazy thing is, and in doing this, I come up with this obscure facts. The Mustang II, for instance, in 1975, the first Mustang IIs with a V8 became available. To want Americans, but in '74, the first year for the Mustang II, Mexican-built cars could have the 302. So they actually came out in Mexico before they came out here. But another little weird thing that I realized was that the stock 13-gallon gas tank wasn't deemed large enough by Ford for the V8. So they had a 3.5-gallon auxiliary tank in every V8 Mustang II in the left rear corner of the car. Every single one of them. And so if you ever have a four-cylinder or a V6 car, they had an extended range option, which was that V8 secondary gas tank with your four-cylinder or V6. So those weird bits of, of trivia that people, oh, I didn't know that. So I'm finding a 1,001 of those and filling the book with them. So <laughs> Interesting. All right, so now you get the Mustang book out. Then uh, what's, what's your next book? Are you going to do one on Camaros or other pony cars or... Yeah, you know, that's, that's a darn good question. Well, here's the funny thing is, you, some people might wonder, what's the, what the strategize, and it goes into doing a book. And I thought about Camaro, Corvette, Mustang. We knew that Studebaker was out. I love Studebakers, but I also knew that, you know, there would be a dud, let's face it, a thousand, you know, there'd probably be 200 people would buy it, and would be done, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. But the publisher said to me, hey, Steve, do the Mustang. I said, why Mustang and not Camaro? Here's why, Steve. And they say that apparently when the booksellers, you know, CarTech book, when they get initial orders for books, it turns out that companies that sell parts for cars, like Year One, the Paddock, all these companies, they buy large quantities of books to put in their catalogs. And it turns out of suppliers of parts for cars, there are more Mustang businesses in this country than any other kind of car. And they said, do the Mustang. We can definitely sell books right up front to those guys. So that's why the Mustang book. And plus, I love the cars. I was born in 64. Same year those things came out. So it's, it's kind of a, a match made. But, but that's what it was. Uh, but yeah, Camaro or Corvette perhaps would be the next one if this one does well. Okay, Steve. We got a couple or minutes. Vega. We got a couple minutes left. What, what did I hear you say? Vega. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> and no Vega, yeah, and don't, oh, wait, don't forget the gremlin. We gotta have the gremlin in there too. The and the panel. And the panel. Uh, we got we got a couple minutes left. Do you uh, you know talk about Mustangs and I, and and I heard that fact someplace else that that was probably the you know the Mustang's the one car that's probably the most iconic pony car on the planet because you can drop it anywhere in the world and everybody knows what a Mustang is. But there's this new company that's in Atlanta, I think that's where they or maybe they're in Orlando. It's called Revology, and they're actually recreating with the blessing of Ford the '65 '66 uh, Mustang convertible. What's your thoughts on that in uh, 20 seconds? Is it, is it a body shell or the whole car? It's the whole car. It's a finished it product for $125,000 spec'd out to the way you like it. That's awesome. Well, we know that company Dynacorn, they're doing Camaro bodies. Yep. Uh, I think they're doing Challenger bodies. So, you know, they say everything old is new again, and, uh, and why not? It's good stuff. Okay. Steve, we're just about out of time. Why don't you go ahead and plug your website, plug your uh, CDs, uh, your book, and how people can get out and find you. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, of course, the next Barrett-Jackson comes up in Reno, Nevada. That happens in, I believe, early uh, August of this year. Tune in, Velocity Channel. And, of course, uh, if you go to, well, eBay Motors, I'm selling my altered wheelbase DVDs there on eBay Motors. Just Google, you know, uh, altered wheelbase dart, and it'll come up, and you'll see the DVD. And then as far as the books, uh, cartechbooks.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You'll probably find them in the transportation section at Barnes & Noble. Super. Now, you're going to be at Monterey, right? 
No, I won't be. I won't be. My, my lease is a little bit short this year. Okay, so uh, but you will be at SEMA, though, right? Yes, I will. Okay. You'll be at SEMA. Okay. Well, hey, listeners, I wanted to thank my special guest, Steve Magnante, a good friend of mine. If you get a chance, check out his website. Check out his CDs. They're cool. Shows you how to build a really cool altered. Don't forget to check out his books. Don't forget, to, if you are at any of the Bear Jackson shows, walk up to Steve. If he's not uh, strapped to a mic and some headsets, uh, he'll definitely come down and talk to you for a minute and sign an autograph or even do a photo op with you. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for... Steve, thank you again very much for coming on. Look forward to seeing you at some of the events. And again, uh, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and check out our show every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Tell your friends for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports to tune in right here at WTAN AM 1340 to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. See you at some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. School, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.